Hello and welcome to Mac Bytes episode 91. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, holidays, bricks and fees for bees. But first, following on from last week's little, uh, shall I call it a rant? We No. No? No, perfectly reasoned. Okay. <laughs> we heard from McJim. It seems McJim and I were separated at birth. It does, he said. Well, Elaine, I couldn't agree more with your comments regard, regarding Aperture and especially regarding Clear and Clear Plus. Many of us bought Aperture even though we use Lightroom as our main editing tool. I bought Aperture as a library, an editing tool for all my photographs that were not kept in Lightroom. Lightroom is used for my street photography and steam railway photography. Yes, I bought Aperture for the lowered price around 50, 50 to £60, pounds, but I thought it would be supported for many years to come as it was Apple's competition app against their rivals at Adobe. It was bad enough to have shelled out the money just last year, but to see Apple still selling the application after they announced its demise is completely wrong. I know a user who has somewhere in the region of 50,000 images, plus all the purchase plugins, and he is fuming at Apple for this. But here's the rub. Apple has only committed to update Aperture to work with Yosemite, which means either they will not support it after Yosemite, or if there's enough anger felt from users, they might be forced to support it further. Now to Clear and Clear Plus. I was incandescent with rage at the attitude of Clear's developers. I bought the iPhone version and the iPad version, if memory serves me right. Then, when the Plus version became available, I thought it was worth paying for and did so. When I got the message they'd made a mistake and were to do away with the Plus version, it was to replace, be replaced with the old one, that's when I began to boil. But it was the attitude that they'd made a mistake, we would need to downgrade, and they, they were offering the downgrade for free for a limited time, I then went into meltdown. I added comments to their website saying they should do the honourable thing and refund all that had paid good money over and pointed out that the free downgrade wasn't free as we paid for it by buying the soon-to-be non-existent app. Yes, while some will not be affected by Apple's announcement as they only use 70% of the app's features, the same can be said for the alternative Lightroom. Your comments that 70% is not necessarily the same 70% of other users. Much of Lightroom's ability for me isn't used as I tend to use external applications such as Nick Software Silver Effects Pro. That's another story of paying out good money and then for it to be sold to Google and Irident Developer. I just need to hope that other applications for photography can replace Aperture and have some way to transfer over the images in the way that Apple, uh, say, Photo, will, not only to make it easier, but to offer a choice rather than being forced to use Photo or Lightroom, as Adobe is trying to force users to go down the monthly fee uh, for um, Creative Cloud version. McJim, I feel your pain. That was my exact sentiments regarding um, Clear. The clear debacle was that if you had bought clear and only clear the first version, then eventually, and it was a long time later, you got the iPad version for free. And if you only bought clear plus, then you got an opportunity to get clear for free. It was I felt for the people who had bought both clear and clear plus because they'd paid twice and only got one app. So, uh, yes, I, I wholeheartedly concur with that. 
Um, can only say with Aperture, uh, your comments about um, some, some other developer stepping in. It is an excellent opportunity for a developer to um, challenge the current version of Aperture, the upcoming photos and even Lightroom. I'm thinking in a similar way to Pixelmator. I remember when Pixelmator first came out in beta and it was a real Mac app. By comparison to what Photoshop looked like at the time, it was a real beautiful Mac app. And I remember thinking, how on earth are they going to make a living from this when there's Photoshop? And look at it now. They're doing really, really well with it. And it's a viable alternative. So hopefully some developer out there will see Pixelmator and what they've managed to do and um, take on that challenge. I'd love to see that. Another point, currently, and I do mean only currently, Lightroom 5, which is what's on the boxed product, which is also Lightroom 5.5, can still be bought as a boxed product. So with that, there would be no ongoing commitment to cloud subscription. But I can see that changing with the next release. I don't have any insider information. It would just make sense the way that Adobe are going. And I know there are people out there who don't want an ongoing subscription. Uh, in relation to Real Mac, I got another email this week, didn't I? Did you? I think they like me. <laughs> yes, it was um, about typed, the new upcoming Markdown app. This week, they were giving me a running commentary all about the icon design for typed. It's a long, arduous process, apparently. And uh, they gave you some sketches of the, their initial designs. I wanted you to say which one you liked. But um, I, I kept my own counsel on that. For a change. Thank you. Anyway, uh, yes, there was also another Markdown app released this week. Remember last week when I said how many were needed? I do. Clearly another one. This one's called Hemingway. But you know what you like when you look at new software? Because I love new software. <laughs> love all new software. You know what you like? Trying to find that um, that feature that it's got that means you need to try it. Yes. Yes, that one. It's cross-platform. I thought I'd say that's a benefit, would you? But you don't use Windows. No, no. But if I needed to use Windows, it made me stop and think. I don't have a Markdown editor for Windows. There's a reason not to use Windows then. I, I can't argue with that, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes, but anyway, there's another app out, Hemingway. It's $4.99 and um, I think you've got to pay twice, one for each platform, which would make sense because a lot of people won't need both. I never actually use the web service, but, um, you know, in relation to uh, there's another Markdown app out there. There's another one out. Not tried it yet. I wonder how long before I give in. But uh, anyway, onward. Did you see that email from Bees Docs about uh, Timeline 3D this week? Oh, I did. Another demise and a payment model that made my heart sink. It was um, an email from Bees Docs, as you say, and it was about a favourite app of mine, which is Timeline 3D. It's been around for quite a while, that, hasn't it? It has. And when it first came out, it was stunning in the fact there wasn't much else that delivered content as nicely presented as that. It allows you to create um, interactive timelines and videos of timelines. I use it extensively in iBooks, so it will create um, HTML5 widget-based uh, timeline. And it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful app. This email from the developer was pointing out that um, it doesn't play nicely with Yosemite yet. And because neither the current version nor a cheaper version called Easy Timeline are compatible with Yosemite, he's rebuilding from the ground up. So he says he built the core functionality six to seven years ago and uh, the operating system that it was built on no longer supported. So he's going to discontinue Easy Timeline. Now, that was the version of Timeline 3D, well, Timeline, that was available from the App Store. So that has now gone, which I think is sad. 
Maybe he could have made it free or something like that. But it's gone. Yeah, that would have been that would have been nice. Well, I'm thinking. I know if you've bought it, you still get to download it, don't you? Unless the developer actually pulls it. I think you're right. Yeah. I think I've seen that with um, ScreenFlow that the old version is no longer available for sale. But if you bought it, it is available from your downloads tab. But if you were, you know, thinking about venturing into it, then no, that's not available anymore. So he then gives like a sort of roadmap for the future, which is always good to know in hand. And he says, my goal for Timeline 3D is to allow seamless experience across your Mac, iPhone and iPad. I was pleased to see Apple reveal a similar vision for their platforms at this year's WWDC. So he's going to be redesigning the apps with this goal and it has many benefits. And one of the benefits he lists under the OS X version is iCloud Sync. No. I'm saying nothing. I've, I've said quite a bit about iCloud Sync. Uh, it then goes on to the benefits for iOS. And guess what number one is? iCloud Sync. iCloud Sync, yes. Uh, but no, I'm leaving that alone. Everybody knows what to think about iCloud Sync, if only it did. No, the interesting bit to me was something that I thought, I've seen it before. And every time I've seen this suggested by a developer, it's usually a prelude to it kicking off. Uh, it says pricing. Timeline 3D is going premium big exclamation mark as though that's a good thing. Um, for free, anyone will be able to download Timeline 3D for OS X or iOS, make and edit timelines, present them in 3D. You will also be able to sync timelines over iCloud. I think that's iCloud permitting, obviously. And share timeline documents using AirDrop or Dropbox. There is no time limit and no limits to the number of timelines or events that you can create and present. So it sounded great, didn't it, so far? I feel a butt coming on. Yeah, sadly, there always is a butt, isn't there? And I felt this one was rather a big one. But exporting your timeline will require an in-app purchase. At that point, I still wasn't worried. <laughs> Naive or what? It says there will be a fee each time you print or export a PDF, PowerPoint slideshow, Keynote slideshow, HD movie or WebGL website. Not good. No. My first thought at that point was, what, what was my first thought there? You were probably incandescent with rage. Ah, McJim. <laughs> um, no, I thought, oh, good grief, I'm going to bankrupt myself. Luckily, there's another paragraph, so don't panic yet. The next paragraph said, if you are a regular user of Timeline 3D, there will be an option to purchase unlimited exports, in which case the app will never present an in-app purchase option to you again. No pricing information yet, but as a concept... What do you think of requiring an in-app purchase every time you want to export something or print it? To me, that's a money-making exercise. Could you imagine if Microsoft did that every time you wanted to print in Word? Well, it would kick off, wouldn't it? There would be absolute hell to pay. Yes. They would get real serious criticism. I'm thinking of another app. Can't for the life of me remember its actual title because I never used it. it all, all will become clear as to why not. Do you remember the one from Adobe? It was to do with making videos. It was available on the Mac App Store. Oh, go and have a look and find out what it was called for me. Um, it, it was... You installed it and it was a little bit like a cut down version of ScreenFlow. It recorded your screen. Um, it would record your webcam so you could do picture in picture and, and quite advanced stuff, to be honest. Um, but if you when you came to export it, if it was less than 30 seconds, you were fine. But if you wanted to export more than a certain duration, you had to pay for every export. 
And I remember this thing coming out and because it was free and quite advanced in terms of picture in picture and stuff, I tweeted it um, to, and I was aiming that tweet really at the training people that follow me. And I got sort of two or three coming back and they were incandescent with rage. You've got to pay for every export. And I thought about it and I thought, I guess if you, I guess it's going to depend on how many times you want to export it as to whether that's going to work out very expensive. Of course, this app was free. And if you compare it to ScreenFlow at $100 or Camtasia at $100, how many exports would you get for your $100? How many times would you export in ScreenFlow? Do you think we get our money's worth with ScreenFlow? Yeah, we export a lot, don't we? I'm thinking if it's based on the number of minutes for video, absolutely. Uh, one, two, three of my webinars, and I, I'd probably be in the red if I was paying individually. But the point I'm making is with this, people did not like it. I was sort of on the fence. I thought, well, I've got other ways to do this. Would this make it easier? Is there any benefit to this particular app? But people did not like the concept. And I thought, well, you can't have a free app as advanced as that and not pay in some way. So either pay for an app and then do what you like with it or take the free one and pay as you go. Maybe for some people that model of payment would work out cheaper or because it's staggered, you've not got that big investment. So if they decide to discontinue it, you've not got that huge investment. The app itself was free and you're paying as you go. So it, maybe it's for that reason. But that it reminded me of that when I saw this and... Um, I thought, well, I did think it did a lot for free. Um, so potentially it does a lot for free. If you never want to export it, if you just want to show it live and transfer it to people via Dropbox or AirDrop, then you're fine, aren't you? You are. And I still can't find this Adobe thing. But um, in other apps, you know, Word, well, everything, I often export to PDF and then throw it away. I think that's how the digital age has conditioned us. You know, you'd never do that with paper. Do you know, I think people would, if, if you were, like you're saying, word, what if you had to pay every time you wanted to output it? I, I guess you'd be more careful before you output it. I think that's one thing. I think you would. I wouldn't like that on the basis that I need to produce content. And if I have to stop and think I don't print this, it's going to cost me. Uh, I've got to proofread it, you know, to, the, to within an inch of its life. You never know how something's going to look. Even if you've proofread it and you're happy, there's no spelling mistakes, there's nothing wrong with it. Often when you get your output, you look at it and you just think, no, it's not right. That needs to be half an inch over there. You can tell better with the finished product, be it a printed piece of paper, a PDF, a video. You just tell better with the finished product. I'm also thinking in terms of this is the kind of thing somebody might do for a client. I can imagine, you know, you, you charge a client a certain amount or you quote them a certain amount and then they want 57 revisions doing and each one's going to cost them. They're going to love that. They are really going to love that. Not. Mm. It, it, it did worry me that a little bit. I'm hoping that the in-app purchase to unlock the whole thing is, you know, a comparable price with the current price of that app. But having said that, it looks like it's totally iCloud enabled and is going to be available through the App Store. So there will be no upgrade pricing either. I 
think with the upgrade pricing, everybody's talked about the upgrade pricing and the App Store model for years. And I think what they were hoping was eventually Apple will come to their senses and there will be upgrade pricing. And you know what? I think it's going to go the other way. Eventually, there'll be no upgrade pricing. Everyone will come around to Apple's way of thinking. Mm, We'll see. Another option I thought was maybe there could be watermarked output for proofing. That's an idea. If you built in some capability to export to all of those options, you know, PDF, whatever you need to export it to, but with a big stamp on it that said proof copy. And then when you're happy with it, you've actually physically seen it in its final format, but with a watermark on it, then you could pay to remove the watermark. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Who knows? Maybe that's the way they'll go. Mm. But quite concerning if you use software, you know, you know, one or two apps really extensively. It's like pay as you go. I, but I would personally rather pay up front. But that's just me. Moving on, we had much excitement this week when Apple released the Yosemite Beta to the masses. I thought about installing it, but luckily I came to my senses before I did any serious damage. Yeah, well, regardless of whether I have a machine to install it on or not, I haven't installed it because I've not had an invite. Um, I wasn't aware of any official invitation. It's just there when you log into the developer portal. Oh, right, because I remember signing up for it, so I was expecting an invitation. Well, how long do you think you'll hold out? Watch this space. And as the series teased you with last week, here with one iOS calendar-related rant. This is me, isn't it? It is you. It wasn't my fault. Never is. This time, it really wasn't my fault. Go on. I've got many different calendar apps on iOS. Um, Fantastical's a favourite. Pocket Informant Pro's a favourite. So I've got many of them. On the desktop, I use BusyCal. And I noticed on all my iOS apps on both devices, you know, iPhones, iPod Touches, the lot, all my devices, I had duplicate holidays. And I don't mean my holidays. What's a holiday? No, um, public holidays and bank holidays. But the thing was, these duplicate entries weren't identical because some of them were camel case and some of them were capital case and then all lowercase. They were the same holidays, but the text was different. So I knew it wasn't a mistake where it had got itself confused and pulled in the entries twice. They, the second set were coming from somewhere else. So I thought it was either a settings blip or a duplication on my part somehow. I should have known better. Uh, What I found was I'd got one copy of these days that I'm referring to on the desktop in BusyCal. But I had two copies in every calendar app on iOS. So I headed off into the iOS settings to sort it out. Three hours later, no kidding, I'd found the problem, I think, but there was no way to fix it. I couldn't seem to unsubscribe from this calendar that incidentally I had never subscribed to called UK Holidays. So I went back to the desktop and instead of opening BusyCal, I opened up Calendar, you know, my Cal as was. And in the preferences, there was this option and I vaguely remember seeing it, which was why I headed over there. And the option is preferences show holiday calendar. So I didn't want to see that, so I took the tick away. And I thought, you know, it's synchronising via iCloud. (laughs) That was where I went wrong. So I'll take the tick out and that'll replicate through all my Macs. And guess what? It didn't. You have to actually take the tick out of that box on every Mac you've got. So another three hours later, the the desktops were looking fine. So I only had my calendar that is synchronising through iCloud by some miraculous force. 
So, mistakenly, I thought calendars were supposed to be in sync between devices. Yeah, so did I. Well, I could hide this calendar, but although when it's there, it says it's a subscribe to calendar, there's no option to unsubscribe from it. So you mm. can hide it, but not unsubscribe it. So I handed it over to you at that stage, didn't I? Fraught. You did. So I had a look around and this is what I found. Something on an Apple forum. Since iOS 7.1, Apple has added a non a non-deletable holidays calendar to iOS devices, which is based on the country in your regional settings. So we've subscribed to a UK holiday calendar, which is nothing to do with Apple. And then Apple subscribes us to another one, which then results in double events, as you said, such as bank holidays and public holidays. So what I did to test this is I went to settings, general, international, region format on my iPhone, chose a different country. Then I went back to my calendar and what I saw was the national holidays for that country instead. So I had all the national holidays for Turkey at that point. Not much use, but at least you can see how it works. But there is no way to unsubscribe from that calendar, as you say. But based on what I'd seen in, in calendar, iCal as was, on the desktop, even though it, it is treated by Apple as a subscription, even if there were a way, you'd have to do it manually on each device in the same way I had to do it on each Mac. This needs fixing now. It, because it's more than an inconvenience. It is convenient to have holidays that I don't have to add or manage. But there were all sorts on these calendars, weren't there? There were standard holidays. There were some holidays I'd never heard of. I mean, an, an example of one that we have, I think it's an Irish holiday, Battle of the Boyne. Not sure, but it was there twice on, on my calendar. And it's not a public holiday in England. The other thing was, on certain calendars, as you pulled them through and we were testing them, there were religious festivals too. And I thought, interesting. I mean, you either you could want all of the religious festivals, none of them, maybe you want some of them. But you know what? Somebody somewhere is going to get upset because they might want the national holidays, but not the religious festivals. You might want the religious festivals, but not the national holidays. You might want neither. Apple, it's a minefield. Leave it alone. It wasn't broken. I'd actually got this. You were saying I'd subscribed to this calendar. I think I might have subscribed to it originally, but I'm pretty sure what I did in the end was make a copy of it, my own personal copy. And I manually put the holidays on it for a simple reason that if it's a subscribed calendar, is it still the case you can't edit that? I think so, yeah. That was why I made a copy of it, because I wanted to add my own holidays to it. And the reason that I wanted to edit a single holiday calendar and not have two holiday calendars was in BusyCal, you can uh, go into the preferences of a calendar and put a tick in a box and it says, is this a holiday calendar? Yes or no. And what a holiday calendar is in BusyCal, instead of displaying in the normal way where all the events, even if they're full day events, are displayed in the colour at the top of the day, if it's a holiday calendar, it displays at the bottom. So, you know, like it would on a paper calendar. Yeah. It looks really good. The problem with it is even you can have more than one holiday calendar. But if the holiday, if there is a holiday on the same day on more than one calendar, only one calendar can show one entry as being the holiday. 
So I, at this point, I got these two calendars and they're just not displaying right. Well, they wouldn't be, would they? So that was why I made it as a single calendar. And everything is working perfectly in BusyCal. It's just not working in anything else. So as I say, Apple, leave it alone. Please fix this. You can hide it. I think you went in and said, oh, look, you can unsubscribe, but you're not unsubscribing, are you? No, you're just hiding it. Which means if you were unsubscribing and it replicated through your calendars, you know, syncing, you only have to do once. This is not that. This is just hiding it. And it's hiding it at system level on every single device, which isn't what I want. I don't. I, would anybody want that? I don't think so. I don't think so. But it could have been worse. You could have a bricked 2011 MacBook Air. That's very true. My MacBook Air, thankfully, is a 2012 model, uh, but that report was scary. Short version is there's a firmware update out for the 2011 MacBook Air, and it appears to have rendered many machines catatonic, some permanently. Um, I think the one I read about, and it was a terrible story, I'm sure he was in the wilds of Alaska, and there was no Apple store to take it to. For others, the machines come back to life magically but after a long, long time. How long had you given updates before declaring it failed them? Oh, now there's a question. I have waited a while for some, but not in terms of hours. Well, except for the iPhone update a few years back. Remember that? Oh, yes. I have had some that have taken longer than I thought they should. You kind of get a feeling, don't you? As it reboots and, it, and it's clunking on with itself and pinging and all of that... It's like, do you remember when um, you used to use dial-up internet and it screeched? Those are the days. Oh, they were, weren't they? <laughs> Thankfully, they're long gone. But when it screeched, you got so used to the screeching that you knew if it was going to fail. Yeah. Because you got used to the tones of success and you yeah. knew if it was going to fail. Well, I think with your Mac, you know, give or take, when to start worrying. All of a sudden, you think, that should have rebooted by now. And you turn around and you look at it in horror. Yes, I know the feeling. I rebooted the other day and, I, you know, that heart-stopping moment where you see a grey screen before the Apple logo and the chime. That's the one. Yeah. I've had, uh, I had a drive plugged in and the drive had a problem and um, I sensed the machine was going very slow. I've got enough experience to know it's probably a drive on the way out. So I thought I'll reboot and one won't come back on. That'll solve the problem. And as I went to reboot, you're right, grey screen and there it sat. And I thought, please tell me this is the drive and not the internal one. Please tell me it's one of these external drives. Eventually it did boot, but it took way longer. I think if there was an hour of no activity, I'd, I'd possibly be looking to interfere with it. And, you know, poke and prod it, maybe reboot it manually or something like that. But certainly no more than that. I'd be freaking out well before that. What about you? Yeah, I think probably about the same. I'm wondering what are Apple thinking these days? Mm. I remember the days, I should play the Hovis music, shouldn't I? Just imagine the Hovis music. When an update came out, you couldn't get it down fast enough. And I've got two iPhones and an iPad that I still haven't done the last iOS update on because I'm concerned that it won't turn back on. I know, I've just I've just noticed on my iPhone, it's, I've, I've still got a number one against the uh, the settings waiting for the for me to download that latest Much so that annoys me. I have managed to leave that alone for a good few weeks. I know I'm yeah. going to have to do it. My problem is um, my old broken iMac that I'm still trying to get back to Apple um, is the one that I back up on. And I'm thinking I need to back it up before I do anything with it or it'll be a catastrophe. So I'm still on the fence with that one. But uh, that's scary. To, to actually render it, it won't turn on. 
that's about as bad as it gets, isn't it? It is. But better news on the software front this week. Finally released the long overdue version two of Clarify. Ah, that is the replacement, incidentally, for screen steps that were sadly sunsetted last year. I was disappointed with that. And that's an understatement, isn't it? Because I'd used it since the alpha back in 2006, which was the very first got a Mac. Um, I used it for creating written tutorials and outputting to Word files, PDF, the website and WordPress. But if you're out there and thinking, version two, clarify, is it? You could be forgiven for missing this momentous news. There was nothing I saw on any Mac news sites. Mac update is still showing version one as the latest version. And I must be on half a dozen mailing lists from the developer and I didn't get one single mail to say it was out. So if you've missed it, it really is out. You can go and buy it. We talked about Screen Steps and its sad demise in uh, shows 78 and 81, I believe. If you have Screen Steps and you want to uh, upgrade, you can upgrade from both Clarify 1 and Screen Steps 2, which is nice, but you know Clear and Clear Plus. Yes. Yes, it's that situation. This update from both Clarify 1 and Screen Steps 2, it's nice, but it grates if you bought both. I'll just pause there. Yes, that was me. I had both. Um, there still isn't full parity with the previous version of Screen Steps in some areas, but it's a very nice update from Clarify One, isn't it? It is. I like it. It's got um, a lot of the features that I was clamouring for, but there's also quite a lot of rough edges, which I find surprising because it's been in beta for an eternity, hasn't it? It has a long time. I, I, I'm thinking nine, ten months minimum, possibly longer. A long, long time. Um, one of the first ones was the one that you found, which was, uh, you yeah, you weren't really doing anything to break it, not like me. I was trying to open a file. Yeah, you're just trying to open a file. It wasn't happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't open a file if you double click on it. So if Clarify isn't open and you have a Clarify file on your desktop and you double click it, it will open Clarify and it will sit there with an empty file in front of you. But if you double click that same file again, then it'll open it. So uh, that needs fixing, doesn't it? Somewhat. Mm. I tell you what, what, one that I found, I opened a lot of files from Clarify 1. And you know where you blur stuff out? Because it's got a blur tool in it and it's really yeah. nice. I'd blurred stuff out. And uh, as I'm looking at these files and thinking, you know, patting myself on the back, oh, these have transferred rather nicely. Whoa, what's that? Um, on my images where there was supposed to be a blur, there was a big white blob. Doubt you've seen that, have you? Not seen that one. No, you probably didn't have anything blurred out. It's just some kind of transition problem because if you click on the blur on your image, because of the beauty of Clarify is the blurs and annotations remain editable. Um, it just flicks itself back to being a blur. But until you click on it, it's white. Which, to be honest, is a bit of a pain because if I've got 12 steps in 300 files and, you know, 10% of them have got blurs on, I've got to go through every single image and click on the blur to get it back to what it should have been. So, as I say, there's a few rough edges, but uh, they're getting there. Go on, say it. She can crash it at will. Well, yes, there was that. Yes, but that's normal. Mm, true. No, seriously, I did. And um, I, I was doing something complicated with it and I did. And um, up popped this message. You know the one that says, just send this crash log back and we'll deal with it, that one. 
I know that one. Well, I have, I, I'm thinking back to Screenflow, which was a, a crashing disaster on Mavericks. And I got used to filling in this dialogue box. And every time I filled it in and it said, what were you doing? And I'd give them chapter and verse what I was doing and I'd send it off. And I'd never hear anything back, never hear a word back. So when this dialogue box came up, I typed in what I was doing. And then I put, you know, sarcastically at the bottom, it didn't end well. And I sent it off. I had no idea that was requesting a support ticket. <laughs> but apparently it was. Um, I just thought I was sending them a crash log and it would go into their, you know, crash log bin. Never to see the light of day again, like ScreenFlow. Uh, but no, apparently it's a ticket. So um, I'll, I'll, feed, I'll give you some feedback next week uh, about what's said about that. But uh, yeah, it wasn't the best crash report I'd ever sent in. But I was thinking no one would read it. Anyway, back to the app. Uh, what's missing? It's a great app, but uh, some of the things that were missing that were in screen steps, uh, creation of a manual. We had it upside down looking for that, didn't we? We did. Sadly, not there. Other thing is um, the library management. It used to have an iPhoto style library in it, which version one didn't have. Screen steps version one had no concept of file management. I was in two minds about that when they very first released it. Do you remember? Because we said, how are we going to share files? Yeah. If they're locked in a library. But I came round to the idea that it was really useful and um, that's gone. So there's no library management. And of course, I've got hundreds, if not thousands of files locked in my ScreenSteps library. But the good news is you can export from ScreenSteps via a package. But as I say, my problem with that was I've got multiple libraries, uh, some for different clients, some for different type of jobs, and there are literally hundreds of tutorials in each one. And when I looked at the output, because you tested it first, didn't you? And you said, oh, it'll do it. That's yeah. great. But you were talking about exporting them one by one. Yes, I was. I think not. Anyway, pro tip. Did you notice this wasn't even on their site? They said export them one by one. Mm. Yes. On. Pro, pro tip. tip, pro tip alert. Create a manual in screen steps and then add all the lessons from your library to that one manual. Then export that manual as a screen steps package. Open the package in Clarify and Clarify will attempt to convert each lesson into a standalone Clarify file. That's the bit that crashed. It's a bit crashy. But it is workable, and especially as it's a, just a one-off process. So what happened to me was I was doing a test run of that. It exported every single lesson, no problem at all. And then at like the last moment, the whole thing crashed. But all the files were there. It had managed to do the export. And hopefully I'll have an update to that ticket that I didn't know I was submitting next week. And I'll let you know what went, uh, how we got on with it all. And if you don't know what Clarify is and you don't know what Screen Steps is, then I'll put a link to a, a quick tutorial that I did just to show you what it's capable of. But it's a very, very good app. I thought it was very cost effective as well. I thought they were very generous with the upgrade offer. Yeah, it was a very good price, that one. Definitely. The full version is on at half price at the moment. The upgrade is less than half price. And, do you know, many, many Mac biters, I'll bet you, got that Mac Heist bundle. It was the Nano Bundle 3, wasn't it? Yeah. If you bought Mac Heist Nano Bundle 3, you will have a Clarify One license. If you go to um, Blue Mango Learning's website for Clarify, clarify.com, and you put in your email address, the same email address you use for Mac Heist, they will do a quick check with Mac Heist to see that you bought it, and they will immediately send you a license for version 2, and that will be completely free. So 
I reckon a lot of people will have that and probably even forgotten. You know how you buy a bundle because it had two apps in that you wanted? Yeah. And you totally ignore the other eight. Mm. Before you buy it, before you go and pay for it, check if you bought the Nano Bundle 3. And uh, if you can't remember, go to Mac Heist and log in and they can tell you what you bought. All you've got to do is put your email address in and they'll give you all your license codes and receipts so you'll be able to check. I know somebody, no names mentioned, obviously, who didn't know that he had a license for that. Did you, dear? No, I didn't. No, but, but now we've got do. one for Clarify too. Yes. And the Yosemite Beta wasn't the only new toy this week, was it? We have a new version of Pathfinder incoming. Ooh. I've got version six of that, but to be honest, I rarely use it. I think only for creating symbolic links or for displaying invisible files, because I find that Finder works well enough for me, even for what we call heavy lifting, for moving and copying a, a bunch of files. I tend to just open two Finder windows. Um, it's less imperative than previously with the improvements in Mavericks, but for me, it still has its place. One of the jobs I do with it, you can save. See, this is what I thought Mavericks would do, but I don't think it does. You can save a range of open windows, you know, open tabs um, as a set, and then you can go open them. So when I'm sorting out the MacBytes show and I've got show notes and, and images and all sorts of things to juggle with, all in different folders, I just go into Pathfinder and I can open up a set of previously open tabs um, that point to you know all the stuff that I need. That's useful. I don't think Finder can do that yet, which is unfortunate because it'd be really good if it did. Um, the new version, version 7 that's coming out, has got great Dropbox integration, apparently. And my, I can't wait for this, folder syncing. Now, I think you'd be tempted with folder syncing, wouldn't you? I could well be. Are you thinking about um, Goodreader? Um, no, not particularly Goodreader. I'm thinking about when I've got, uh, you know, I'm working, I've got a working folder on my desktop and I've backed it up somewhere. And then I've made some more changes. And then what I usually end up doing is deleting the backup and then transferring a whole new folder across. Mm. But with this, you could synchronize the folders instead, and that would be a lot quicker. Yeah. Anyway, it is incoming on the 2nd of September 2014. So, oh, I can't wait. Can't wait for that one. Oh, incidentally, you know, I don't, I'm assuming, because the licenses for Mac Heist have to be standard licenses. You may not think that you have a license. This is another one of those. Are you listening, Mike? Yes. You may not think that you have a license for Pathfinder 6, but it was included in one of those nano bundles. So before you fork out um, a full price, check that you don't qualify for an upgrade because uh, it was included in one of the nano bundles. I shall go and check. I think it could be the same nano bundle as Clarify. It was a good bundle, that. I think it was only about $20. It was. Awesome for the software that was in it. Now, as promised, here's the final part of Elaine and Kevin's deep dive on OneNote. As we left them last week, they were just discussing what is currently missing in OneNote for Mac and what they'd like to see added. Um, I would appreciate, though, let's get on to what's missing. Mm, I would appreciate the same drag and drop capability for different types of attachments, particularly PDFs. Uh, I haven't tried that, uh, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I've never seen any way you could do that to just drop one in. No, now it does do that on the Windows version. I don't know about the web version. You, you use the web version far more than me, but I can't. Not only can I not drag and drop an attachment into one of my notes, I can't insert either. It just doesn't support attachments other than images. But when you've seen how fantastic the image 
um, dragging and dropping insertion system is. I can't wait for it to get attachment support. If you have attached attachments in other on other platforms, you can see the attachment, but what you see is the little thumbnail. And tantalizingly, you can't get to the attachment. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, when I've got stuff that is in PDF, that's a bit of an issue. I would love that they could put attachments in in the Evernote way. Here's the attachment. You can either view a preview of it, you can view the whole thing, or you can view a little icon. That would be awesome. At the moment, not supporting it at all. I did find a workaround, I'm sure I said last time, if there's something that I, I want to do or I need to do, I can always run OneNote for Windows full screen in a VM. It just seems like overkill. But like you've just said, it's a whole ecosystem and it is. This is Microsoft doing something right for once. It's a platform. They've tempted me in on the Mac side with a version that is just enough to tempt me. And if I then want to do more with it, I am now prepared to run a virtual machine and do it in there. And you can drag and drop from the Mac straight to the VM. So you could do that. But we're talking about the Mac version and the Mac version doesn't do it yet. And I would love it if it did. Yeah, you, you can drag and drop in the uh, web version, but it's not coming over qu adequately here onto the Mac version. I just tried mm. it. Yeah, you can't get to it, can you? No. It's just you can see there's an attachment, but you can't do anything with it. The other thing I, I would love, and I'm sure you would as well, is I'd like to be able to scribble in it. You add real notes. Oh, yeah. Arrows yeah. or... I don't mean OCR, you know. I, I don't want to have to type and then it turn it into text. Not not too worried about that. I'd sometimes just have two blocks of text, and I would love to be able to put a line between them with an arrow head on it. You yes. know, when you've done this, go do that or compare that with that. That I would absolutely adore. That, I don't know whether they're going to add that. That would be crossing over into that, more into that mind map thing than if you could do that, because that's, I mean, that's in essence what a mind map is to me anyway. It's, it's connecting all these bits and pieces together. Uh, you know, when you set this up, did you get a, note, uh, a section in a notebook called Quick Notes? Yes, but I deleted it. <laughs> I have no use for it either. It's a, it's if you've not tried OneNote, uh, MacBiters, then it is it's kind of a help system. And what happens is I've left the quick notes there because you need a section that acts as a repository for stuff you, you take on the go. So Kevin talked about making notes on the go and having them all dumped into like an inbox. And that's what this quick note section is. Every time I installed OneNote on a new device, it added in a new page into this quick notes section. So I've got uh, welcome to OneNote for iPad, welcome to OneNote, welcome to OneNote for Mac. OneNote, one place for all your notes. What's OneNote? And there's a few things in there that are help pages. And one of them has got a map on it. Um, it's like a sample trip plan. Yes, I remember seeing that before I deleted it. <laughs> and it's got um, help stuff on it. And there are arrows and what looks like text scribbles so there's like a circle and it says notebooks and another one that says sections and it just it just works the fact that it's handwritten draws your eye to it and I just want that I want some way to annotate like that but then of course that brings into play and how pray tell would you do that with a mouse very carefully mm, because it would be I mean I yep. I'm pretty good with a mouse in uh, Photoshop but I have a graphics tablet for when I'm doing very, very intricate work. You wouldn't want to have to put your mouse down, put your keyboard down and pick up a pen. 
But that leads us on to the Surface announcement, which comes with its own pen. Did you see that this week? Uh, I only got a chance to read a, a bit of it. The Surface Pro 3 is what they're calling it, correct? That's the one. Uh, I watched the, the live thing and I thought, whatever you think about the device, they've got the theory right, which is he did this demonstration where he had the i the um, not the iPad, <laughs> the Surface. <laughs> oh dear, whoops! Don't don't have me on Microsoft PR. <laughs> He had the Surface in one hand and he had a pen in the other. And this pen you know, links in with the Surface. It's a Surface pen. And he picked it up and he flicked the pen on, you know, and you push the top of the pen in. And the Surface turned on and went straight into OneNote and he was ready to write. Ooh. Write his notes. That's another ooh, isn't it? Yeah, ooh. ooh. I was so taken with that. I was mesmerised with that. That, to me, was what I've always wanted. I, I guess it will depend on how often and to what extent you take notes as to whether that is that important to you. To me, I live taking notes. And even though I've got OneNote and Evernote and I've had a thousand other note applications, I still have a pad and a pen on my desk. I can't, I can't help myself. It is just faster to do it that way. And I, I looked at my pad and my pen and I thought, hmm, could I replace that with a device and a stylus? I really wish I could. I would love that. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I, I have to admit, I do still have a pad and a pen here on my desk, although I've been shrinking it down in size to try to force me to do more electronically. <laughs> I, you know, used to have the big legal yellow, legal yellow, yellow, bleh, yellow, MacBite's teeth got me again. Yeah. <laughs> yellow legal pad. Now I'm down to a little uh, three and a half by five inch pad. So I've been shrinking it down to force me to do more electronically as opposed to doing it on paper. But it does work. I know where you're coming from. I had um, I have I was a demon with notebooks. They're all over the place. Um, what I did, and this was only about 13, 14 months ago, I got an ARC notebook from Staples. Have you seen those? Oh, is that the one where they got the like round black solid ring thing? That's the one. Oh. Uh. At first, I was quite sceptical. I thought, oh, it's going to be a Filofax type thing all over again. But I did use my Filofax. And you know what? It worked. That's the thing. I'll use what works. And the Filofax concept worked. This was many years ago. And I looked at this ARC system and I thought, I can see potential for this. Because what I was finding was I was having a notebook. And they were usually like hardback things. Um, and I was using them. And then if I'd put some stuff on a page, I'd either cross it out because it, you're back to this rough book concept. Really, it needed ripping out and throwing away. But I'd put a line through it and then go into the next page and so forth. But when the notebook was full, there would be some pages in this thing that had value to me yep. and some that didn't. Yep. And I wanted to keep the ones that had value. And I didn't really want to have to pull the thing apart and then scan it. And I end up with a cupboard and it's full of old notebooks. Probably about 50% of the pages are useless, but the other 50% have information in. So I looked at this ARC system and it works in a way that you can put pages in and you can take pages out. So for this rough book concept where I'm just scribbling away, I can then take the pages out. So it's become like an organic thing that has grown over the over the year. But I've also taken out pages as well, thrown away what I don't need. And because the pages are independent pages, I've scanned the rest and I'm not stockpiling old notebooks anymore. 
I'm scanning them and taking them into my electronic system. But I've noticed with OneNote, much more so than Evernote, that I'm weaning myself off that paper-based system. The paper-based system's still there, but I've moved it off my desk and put it in a drawer. I've also moved the pens further away, just in case, <laughs> because I still find myself, instead of reaching out for the mouse, reaching out for a pen. Yeah. And I, when I find myself doing that, because the pen isn't there, because I have to reach further or get up and walk across the room for it, I'll think I'll put it into OneNote. So I'm trying to train myself. But for that, I found it works very, very well. Maybe you need aversion therapy. You know, mm. one of those shocking pens that you, when you go to touch it, it gives you a little electrical shock. I do. I need something to remind me because I, I get into the zone to such a degree. I'm not really thinking what I'm doing. And halfway through writing the note on a piece of paper, I think, why do you put this into one note? Yeah, that's I think, frustrating. I know exactly what you mean. But it's after I've started doing it that I remember. Oh, well, you know how I've broken my habit of doing that is uh, I have stopped taking paper with me when I go to certain things. I only take either my laptop or my uh, uh, iPad. And that's another way I, I've helped to wean myself off the paper notes. And because, you know, you can't go back and find anything, you know, it, or I shouldn't say that. It's very difficult to go back and find things. In, in a paper notebook, uh, unless you doodled and marked it and done all this sort of thing. Um, but that's how I wean myself off is when I get up to go someplace, I grab my laptop. I don't grab my folder. I try not to now. I, I, I would probably take something with me um, if it was an event I was going to. I'd probably record it and I would make notes on my iPad while I was there. But I can't help feeling that a pen and a piece of paper is still faster. Well, then, well, and, and that's where the small notebook comes into to view, because if you take the small notebook, that pen and paper thing for the really quick thing will work. But the long notes uh, or the long documents that I've composed inside of OneNote make mm. it much simpler, make it much simpler, and much quicker for me to process it through on the other end. What I was doing with my paper notebooks, which... OneNote kind of builds up for you. It's a similar system, but it, it does it for you. Was I was taking a notebook when I'd finished with it, and or even actually when I'd started, I get a new notebook, and I used to write page numbers in the top corner. So I was creating the system, like I explained with my Pixelmator notes before. I was creating the system. I was putting a system in place. So new notebook, number the pages, and then as I use the notebook, I would leave a couple of pages at the beginning and I'd write the index as it went. So I'd take the first two pages and write the page numbers down the left hand side. And then when I'm on to page 20 and I'm writing notes about Photoshop, I, when I finished, I go back to the index. I put the page, the page numbers there and I put next to it Photoshop notes for X course. So I do build up an index in that way, even if it's a manual notebook. But isn't that insane? Why don't I just put them electronically? Yeah, I, well, no, I mean, I've been there. I understand your, I understand your issue. I, I, I do understand. It. I mean, because I used to use something similar, but OneNote just makes it so much simpler for me. I mean, it's just you go in, take the notes, and and like I say, if I'm the 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 trickiest balance I've had is knowing that I'm taking notes in what's the work version and what's the version I use for everything else. So that's where I have the real balancing act. But after that, the fact that I put it in there, it's everywhere so that I need it. It just works. I mean, you know. It, so you're happy with it? I'm, I'm ecstatic with it. I, 
I think it would be the equivalent of losing my left arm right now if I if it were taken away. I must admit, I would miss it. I, it is open all day, every day. Um, at the moment, I've got one note on one side, have a note on the other. I actually put a lot of work uh, into Scrivener. And Scrivener, if you've ever used Scrivener, it has a research section. And I tried using that research section, and by comparison to the options that you get with OneNote, I couldn't use it. So I left it blank and went back to Ever uh, to OneNote. And I've put all of my research into OneNote and then all of the work side of it into Scrivener. So if it's done or it's said, it's in Scrivener. Um, but the research side of it is in OneNote, and that's working well. It's interesting because I just bought Scrivener within the last three or four weeks, I think it was. Uh, Scrivener is amazing. Yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful package. Well, I'm, I'm always thinking about what I'm going to do in the in the next life, and I don't mean that I'm going to die or anything. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's going to come a point in time where I'm going to retire, and I want to still do that. And, you know, and, and, and maybe I'll be writing things that you'll use on MacBytes, or maybe I'm writing something for a website that I'm developing, or, you know, my world domination notes. There's always changes to make to those. Fantastic. So, so You shall have to come back when you use Scrivener and tell us how you're getting on with that. Yes, I will. That's probably going to be a little bit before I get into that, because I've got some ideas, but nothing yet. Ah, Scrivener's great. It is great. But, as I say, for research, I think Evernote edges it. Um, OneNote edges it uh, by a long way. You slipped up there, didn't you? I did. I did. I, it, well, I've had a heck of a job, haven't I, with my recording today? Yes. I'm stressed, late. and um, it's a silly o'clock for you. It's not, well, it's not too silly. It's not too not now. Silly. No, not now. <laughs> It was when we when we tried to start, though, wasn't it? It was dark then. Uh, yes, but that's okay. It's more fun it's to talk to you things. than sleep. Really? Oh, wow. Thank you. I I just kind of reciprocate that. Okay. Now I've got the mark, the mark by its teeth. <laughs> so did you try any of the others? There was a Circus Pony's Notebook. I haven't gone back to that. I was trying to find... I had a license for it at one time. And I cannot find where it is. I know I bought it. It was in a bundle. Mm. They, some... they are in a bundle quite frequently. They've actually released a new version, version 4. Um, and there is an iOS version to go with it. But I think things like that, I did use that. I used that for five years. Um, that was what replaced OneNote on the PC for me when I moved to a Mac. It's got the same metaphor, the sections and stuff, and it does an awful lot of things automatically. It builds up a word index for you. Uh, it's one of the things it does. It would be nice if OneNote could do that. There's just something about it that it never quite, for me, replaced. In my mind, I was still hankering after OneNote, and I'm not sure why. I think it's still quite linear, how uh, Circus Pony's Notebook works. It was fantastic when I was using it. I started leaving it behind when the iPhone and the iPad came out and there wasn't a version uh, for iOS. Yeah, that I can see. And it doesn't, this is the problem. With notes, if you want them pervasive, if you want them at work, at home, mobile, access all over the place, then you really need a company behind whatever you're using that is big enough to have versions for all of those platforms and, more importantly, a sync system between them that does actually work. And I think with... I would have been, before they brought out the Mac version, before they got their act together with OneDrive, when it was SkyDrive, and before that it was Live something, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have trusted Microsoft to be there tomorrow with that system. They were far too fond of bringing something out, and I'd be thinking it's either fantastic or it's a bit, hmm. 
blah, not interested. Yeah. Either way, next week it's gone and they've bought out something else that's better, bigger, or that's what they tell you. And I don't necessarily want better or bigger or sooner. I want something that I trust that will be there next week. Yeah. And they seem at this moment to be virtually betting the company on this platform that they're putting in. And if they're betting their company on it, then I would say I can trust it sufficiently to trust it with my work, at least for the foreseeable. Well, I know it's a horrible thing to say. And I, of course, you've had other experience. I trust, please, people don't shoot me, send me hate email, but don't shoot me. I trust Microsoft more than I trust Google at this point. I can't say I disagree with that. And then, of course, there's, there's the debacle that's iCloud. Oh. I can't get that to synchronize above it will synchronize the odd thing i mean for instance pixelmator uses it you can put um you can save your pixelmator files up there and then you open them up on another machine that i have actually found does work after a fashion but the problem is i've had so many issues with other applications including apple's own i don't trust it yeah and that's the problem and therefore i'm not going to use it yeah i don't i don't sync anything through icloud I don't think iCloud syncs anything to <laughs> iCloud. I don't know why they can't do something better with it because that I don't think whatever Apple are doing, synchronization-wise, it's as complicated as I have made one note. I've got it open on three devices. I'm making changes to the same note, not, not just in the same section, the actual same note. And it's tri-directionally synchronizing and not complaining. Now, when I've inadvertently done that with Evernote, it makes another notebook, duplicates the note and says this conflicts with the other note. And it didn't didn't actually tell me that. So when I found it, I thought, what's going on? It's not synchronized properly. And then I find half the notes are in this copy of a note. And then when the third one comes into play, then there's another note and it's confusing. But I have edited the same note, the same block of text on three different machines, devices, within seconds of each other and had zero problems. From that perspective, that has proved to me that I can so far trust it. That won't doesn't mean there won't be a blip down the line. Oh, yeah. And you're obviously having problems because it's an older version. Right. But generally speaking, I found it to be fairly stable. Yes, I, I have too. It's been perfect. Uh, as I said before, I played around in the uh, web version before it came to the Mac because I thought, oh, you know, here's a chance for me to do it. But it's just instantaneous. I, I they, it does. It hasn't hiccup. Knock on wood. I'll tap my head here, but you know it. It does. It just comes across. And if you watch closely, you see the little blue syncing thing come up, and, yeah. and and you know it's syncing, and it syncs. It's just. It's very reassuring. So we like it, don't we? We love it. We love I it. I do. Have you found any other problems apart from the syncing? No. And wanting it to do more. No. I'm curious to see. The one thing I haven't done yet, too, is I'm going to uh, probably try to do more with Office 365 and uh, see how that goes. And Because there's all kinds of features that you can send stuff back and forth. So, One of the things I did was, um, and this was really for a demonstration, and it was before... I want to say it was before there was OneNote for the Mac. And you know what? I think it was. But what I'd done with it, um, I was using PowerPoint and I was doing a demonstration video for YouTube of the slideshow feature of uh, PowerPoint. So you have PowerPoint. I think it was the Mac version. And there's this option to say broadcast. And you don't need any software or anything above PowerPoint. And you can just say broadcast this show. 
and it will take your slides and it will broadcast them on, online. It will give you URL. You send that URL to anybody, publish it, tweet it, whatever, and they can go to that URL and watch your slideshow. Mm. It doesn't have sound, but it has everything else. So I'm busy demonstrating this, and one of the options was collaborative notes. So collaborate on this slideshow. And I thought, what does this do? Because I'm a keynote user. So I click this button and it actually took uh, half the notes uh, on these slides. Mm -hmm. It took everything that was there and put it into one note. It made a collaboration notebook. It created a new section, added a page, and it said, right, you're now collaborating on this slideshow. And I could type into it. My viewers could type into it. And all of the notes, when you finished your presentation, were there in one note. And that's what I mean when I say it's a platform and you use the term ecosystem. I agree with you. They have got this right this time. OneDrive's behind it, powering it, and then the apps are sitting on top of that, including the Mac versions of these apps, and providing you with collaboration options and sharing options that we just haven't really seen so far on a Mac, I don't think. Yeah, and and I think the new guy at Microsoft, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, I don't know that I could say it if if I could. Uh, I mean, he comes from... I believe it's Nadella. Nadella? Okay. Nadella, Satya Nadella, so, I believe. Okay. But we've taken to calling him Nutella, if you remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just remember Nutella and you'll be fine. You're near enough. Mumble yeah. it and you'll get away uh, with uh, it. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the, uh, you know, he comes from the background of their their online services and stuff like that. So... I, I just see this being, a, as I said, an ecosystem that they're really going to push. They've wanted to do software as a service for a long time. Now they're doing that. You know, they want to bring people in. I'm, I'm becoming more and more impressed with this. And I think that I, it's going to draw me back at least this little bit back over into Microsoft. I agree. I was completely and utterly Microsoft free for six to seven years. Uh, what took me back, I did have an office license, but I didn't even install it. I thought, well, it's there if I need it, but I didn't install it. So I, I had the box on the shelf. When Office 365 came out, I thought that's the right way to do software. That's the way. I, I appreciate there are many people who do not like the subscription aspect of it. But I remember, I think it was back as far as 1995 when Windows 95 came out. For a full office license, you were looking at about 800, 900 pounds. Without getting into a debate as to whether that is acceptable for software, that price or not, to think we've moved so far on and now you will always have the latest version. You do not have these update debacles. You always have the latest version and it's less than sort of six pounds a month. For me, that was enough to to take me back in. Not just take me back in in terms of, okay, I've got a subscription now if I need it. It was, I've got this subscription and I've installed it and I'm using it. I didn't foresee the day that Microsoft would do something that right that I would go back to it. But I did with Office 365. And then when this came out, it was like manna from heaven for me. So, I, yes, I think they finally got it right. Yeah, I do. I, I do, too. And I, I am liking that. I need to uh, I need to actually my 30 day trial, I think, is coming to an end. So I think I need to go ahead and pony up, I guess. I don't want to use that term with circus ponies. I haven't been talked about. But I need to go ahead and <laughs> uh, bring up the money or, you know, pass up the dough to, to pay for it and, and uh, go ahead and, and purchase a license. So, because I love Excel, I live, breathe and die in Excel. That's so much a part of everything that I do that, you know, I, numbers is great. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but I've used Excel for far too many years. 
and that's where I work. I, I mean, I'm always doing things like pivot tables and things like that, and I'm not nearly as advanced as uh, some people are. And then I learned the other day how to do something to do some mass updates on our database using Excel, and that was just like, oh, this is nice. You're going to save me tremendous <laughs> amounts of work here. So You need to spend some time with Mike, the Excel trainer. Oh, oh he adores Excel. Yes. He absolutely loves it. That's true. I've heard he likes it a little bit. Just, just a tinge. Yeah, just just yes. a tinge. So. No, Excel's fantastic. Numbers is beautiful to look at. It makes it. It's great for layouts. That 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 sold it to me. The layouts, but once they they dumbed it down even more with the last update, massive air quotes update. Um, no, I had to move some of my stuff to. Um, I didn't go the Excel route because of the sharing on SkyDrive at the time. But now it's OneDrive. I might have another look. I actually put mine into Google Docs, which I felt was sacrilegious, but there was nothing else to be done because I just it. They took the features away that I was using. But never mind that. That's just moaning about other things, isn't it? (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) But we had a piece from Dave, uh, also known as Wizard Gold, which you have heard, haven't you? Yes, I have listened to. And I thought he made a fantastic point. So uh, let's listen to Dave and uh, then we'll come back and uh, reply to Dave. Hello, Mike and Elaine. It's Dave Allen, Wizard Gold. And I was just listening to your podcast where you talk about notebook applications and taking notes and so on. Well, it all kind of depends on what you're doing, really. What sort of notes are they? When I'm taking notes, actually doing some writing and I'm putting in the actual words myself, then I'll tend to use drag and dictate because I'm dictating the stuff in there. Or sometimes what I'll do is I shall put them directly into an application called Moo. That's M-O-U, because it's really good for writing in Markdown. And in any case, the words I put into Dragon Dictate, I just use that as a place to put the words in, and then I move into Moo anyway. And then again, there are occasions where I'm just doing a very small note, that's going to be perhaps even a bit of a throwaway note, and I'll put those into NVAlt. The only thing that I have to think about sometimes is where I want those notes to go. So I'll save all my stuff into Dropbox so that I can be using these notes on the Android phones, on the Android tablets, on the iPad, and also on my iPhone. So Evernote, where does that come into the mix? Well, with Evernote, what I tend to do with that is I use it for notes that I'm taking where I'm actually selecting some text in a web page or something like that and just saving it into Evernote. It's kind of like places that I'm not actually making notes as such, so I'm just keeping a reference. It's kind of like the external brain, as they call it, on Evernote. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there is DevonThink. Well, with DevonThink, the way I'm looking at that is that it's specific for a particular kind of job that I want to work on. So if I'm going to do some research on something and I want to have the notes in the same places where I'm going to be doing some writing, and I would just use that for a specific project. I have also tried other applications. I haven't tried that one from Circus Ponies, but I did try Yojimbo once. Then you have the other sort of notes where you're basically having it as a journal. And for that, I use day one. I put all sorts of stuff in there. Most of it's just keeping a track of what things I'm doing. But then again, it could be just a bit like a diary, I suppose. So anyway, soon as you mentioned it, I thought I'd better give OneNote a try. I've downloaded it and I'll let you know how I get on with it. So the other part of the equation is the fact that we need to have notes that we take on our mobile devices. And for that, of course, I've got on the iOS, I've got Draft and I've got Editorial. And then on the Android device, I've got the one called Drafts. Actually, I'll get mixed up which way around it is with Draft and Drafts. But still, I have those applications for taking notes on the mobile devices. And I like it so that I can have the notes that are taken those immediately available on other things that I do. 
One other thing that I found recently is an application called Quip, and it works as a web application through quip.com, and also it has Android and iOS versions as well. And it's really very good for doing collaborative work, and also it's got a messaging system built in too, and I'm really quite pleased with it. So have a look at it yourself and see what you think. Well, Elaine, I have to say that you are a proper geek. I was listening to the details that you went through with moving files from one place to another, and what a palaver. But I suppose if it works for you, just marvellous. Anyway, this is Dave Allen with the gold. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye now. So the, the interesting point, that the first interesting point that Dave made there was when he said what notes, it would depend what they are and where you're putting them. Yeah. And I thought that was a good point. Now, he's using Dragon Dictate I've thought about doing that, but I've never thought that it would be accurate enough. How do you feel about speaking your notes? Um, I I would like to if I thought it would understand me, but I also don't want people looking at me funny if I'm sitting someplace talking to my computer. <laughs> well, I talk to Siri all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, but that's a whole different reason. But no, I, I dictating notes offers an interesting thing, but I think as far as notes, instead of dictating notes... I'd be more likely to dictate a document than... I, that's exactly what I would do. I think my notes are too fragmented. I think I think like you. Oh, it's like I you. jot the odd word down rather than... I, I have used dictation. I mean, when I was working as a lawyer, you would dictate letters and documents, court pleadings and things. So I, I was used to it. I even had, um, which worked fantastically, incidentally, I even had this dictaphone thing system where if I was typing up my own stuff, it had a foot pedal. And, you know, nothing on a computer beats that foot pedal. You could actually control the notes. They were on tape at the time. Yeah. Not, not stone. I'm a little bit younger <laughs> than that, but tape. And you put this tape in the machine and you could wind it backwards and forwards and play it with a foot pedal, which meant to type it up was fantastic. So I don't have a problem actually dictating stuff. And now, of course, you'd be talking straight to the computer. There'd be no transcription involved. I, like you, think that would work best when it's a document or something. And I realised as, as I listened to Dave and thought about it, I don't actually tend to write in blocks anymore. I write in odd words. Yeah, I've always written in odd words, but that was my own problem. I, <laughs> I had, I used to actually have a uh, an administrative assistant that learned my odd words too. I didn't even write out complete words anymore. It got that bad. So, <laughs> yeah, that was that was not good. But uh, it did it got the job done that I had to get done. But now you make me think maybe I need to buy a USB foot pedal and figure out how to wire that in so that I can dictate straight into the microphone by just pressing the foot pedal. Do you know, I've thought about doing that myself because it worked so well. And sometimes what I'm doing is I'm watching one of my own videos and I need to do a different piece for it or I need to change the end of it. And so it matches. I have to type out precisely what I said. So um, I think that would probably... I think Dragon Dictate would be overkill for what I need. I'd love it if it worked. And I know Dave had problems with the licensing on it. So I want to say that that is activated. So maybe Dave could confirm that. But I don't like activated software. The other thing is, I wonder if you can take, you know, how it learns your language, your your speech patterns. Yes. I wonder if you can take that from one machine to another. And I think if I got it on one machine, I'd want it on every machine and every device if I really got into it. Yeah, I don't know if it does follow you around, though. I think that's particular to the machine you're working on. No, I'd love it if it did, but maybe not. And then he said he went on to using Moo, which isn't one that I use. I use Byword for Markdown. 
I've got a million Markdown apps, I must admit, and each one does something fractionally different. Um, but I do use Markdown. Now, OneNote seems not to understand Markdown. You can write it, but it doesn't interpret it in any kind of way. Do you use Markdown for your notes? Um, don't shoot me, but I don't understand Markdown. It doesn't seem to fit my brain either. I, I I want to try to do Markdown. I've bought multiple applications to try to help myself do Markdown, but I'm just better off in plain text and then going back and cleaning it up later if I'm going to do that. So, yeah, I don't. Markdown doesn't work for me. I love Markdown, and I do use it for certain things. I'm quite happy marking it up in HTML straight away. Um, I have been around that long that I used to write HTML in Notepad on Windows. So I can mark up HTML and I can do it fairly quickly. I also use Sublime for marking up HTML and that makes the job even quicker. But Markdown sort of fast becoming a standard. If I need to put together a course outline, I they will request that it's done in Markdown. And it's a text file that allows you to put in very simple uh, codes that when it's interpreted will interpret that document and give it a layout or a structure. And it's very simple to learn. It's just if you have nowhere to send that document, nowhere that, that you know somebody needs it in Markdown, or you're going to put it on a system that interprets Markdown, then to be honest, it's sort of wasted effort because yeah. you're only looking at it with your eye and you would probably know without the mark the markup applied to it that that's a heading and that's not a heading yeah it's the only time when i had considered trying to use it was when i was going using my ipad primarily for capturing information or writing i should say and then i wanted that to go over into word or something like that to, to publish the document um because there wasn't a version of word or wasn't it a word processor that i liked on my ipad so yeah it just and even then it didn't work exactly right so i was like I'm doing a lot of extra effort and trying to, I mean, at least for me, it was extra effort. And I'm trying to remember to use this. And I said, oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to type. And I have my own, I have my own version of Markdown or Markup or Mark Sideways, whatever you want to call it, that makes <laughs> sense for me. And then it, mm. it gives me enough visual cues that I know how to go in and format stuff appropriately, you know, on the back end of the system. Well, I do use it, and I do use it in OneNote. Uh, and what I then do in OneNote is I copy it out, and I'll take it somewhere else to do something else with. So um, OneNote doesn't help you in any kind of way with that. No. What I've done is use Typeinator to create expansions. So it works in a similar way to, um, what's that other one that everybody else on the planet uses, and I don't? Text Expander. That's the one. Never worked for me, that. Can crash that soon as look at it, repeatedly. So um, I use Typeinator. But same principle. I type a little code and it takes what's on my clipboard and turns it into Markdown and it's perfectly marked up. Yeah. So I do use that and I do put it in OneNote, but then I copy and paste it and send it somewhere else. Um, Dave also made a point about Evernote being his external brain, which is how they sell it, that you've got this huge repository of information, which is what we're saying about our notebooks. Right. They're what we refer to when we're looking for inspiration. We've had an idea and we know it's in our notebook somewhere. Yes. Must admit, Evernote, I feel, is better at capturing a web page and simplifying it. You've got Evernote clearly and you've got the web clipper. Both of them let you turn a web page into its essence, the text and the images, and capture it. Where OneNote captures a web page, it captures it as is. Now, it does that in such a way that you get a perfect representation of the page. But often, when I'm trying to capture a web page, it'll be for the information that's in it. 
And I don't really want all the adverts and all the flashing whatever's around the information. Yeah. I just want the information. So for that, I would still send stuff to Evernote because Evernote has got that kind of system built around it. I think every iOS app on the planet can send stuff to Evernote. So it does have that aspect to it. And I am still using Evernote. So in the same way that Dave's using about three dozen applications here, <laughs> so am I. Yeah. And uh, Evernote is one of them. I do use DevonThink. Do you use DevonThink? No, I have not used that. That works best, I would say, with it's kind of mining information. It's more like a database but it's kind of an ad hoc database where you don't have to really structure it much. You can run searches on it. It has this um, integrated search that is awesome. It will find links between things, not based on a match. It doesn't have to have exactly the same word in it. It's artificial intelligence that the search brings, and it brings things back. So when I'm looking for stuff in DevonThink, often it brings back stuff that I'd forgotten I'd, I had. And in that respect, the search on it is amazing. So I do use DevonThink too. Um, he said he uses that for specific job researching. Yeah. At the moment, I'm putting my rough research into OneNote. But if I've come across things that I think would be useful for the future, then yes, it's DevonThink that I put them in because the artificial intelligence search outweighs every other search I've ever seen. So that's what that's how I use DevonThink and why I use DevonThink. Mm. People must think I'm very strange. I've got stuff all over the place. But it makes some kind of perverse sense to me. Well, that, and that's the point, though. If it makes sense to you, that's what works, and you're taking advantage of the tool. Exactly. I don't want to let the tool drive me. I can only do it this way, so therefore you will do it that way. Yeah, that that'll drive me up. The that's a sure way to stop me from using any tool. Is that it's it says no. You will do it this way. This is the way you have to do it. No, I am I, I am a bit of a free thinker and that I need to apply my structure onto the tool to make it work. Exactly. I've not tried GeoJimbo. I did see that when it first came out. And uh, I think at the time I was comparing it to DevonThink and I went the DevonThink way. Did you use Circus Ponies notebook, which Dave says he hasn't? It's possibly got some benefits, but it's limited in the terms of the platforms that it will work on. I also had this notebook in Circus Ponies that I lived in for years, like six years. I had this notebook and everything was in it. It was my journal. It, it was everything it was in this notebook. Um, they updated from Circus Ponies 2 to 3. Total disaster. All my formatting disappeared. And when I came to synchronise this thing with the iPad version, when that came out and I thought my life is complete, it wouldn't synchronise. It oh. was too complicated. Oh dear. So that got left behind at that point. Uh, then Dave's next one was um, day one. And uh, I use day one for um, journaling. Do you I've, use it for journaling? Or? I've played around with day one. Um, I liked it because it ran on my phone and on my iPad and everything like that. And I even have it set up to come up and remind me, oh, it's time for you to write in day one, you know, like that, with <laughs> with the great ambition of doing more writing, but I'm not doing it. So I still jot things occasionally, but not much. Uh, I use it every day, but it's more of like um, memories, I guess, rather than what I what I'm doing and what I want to do. So uh, that's how I use it. And he's not tried OneNote. I do hope we've tempted him. Do you think we've tempted him enough? Do you think I, it, we've had enough ooze? I, I think so. And if we need to add more ooze for Dave, we can certainly do that. But, yeah. But so, go, go ahead. I was going to say, we, here you go, Dave. Ooh. 
There you Ooh, go. Ooh, absolutely. Yeah. Go away and try it, Dave, and come back and let us know how you get on, because yeah. I, I think you'll like it. Now, he did make one other interesting point. He talked about plain text and just the form of plain text. Before I became OneNote-centric, uh, I used Notepad++ or and, and took tons of notes there. Mm. And I used the same I structure. Was... I used Etherpad um, because you could collaborate on that. And another one was Simple Notes, which worked on text. Yes. So I have no problem using plain text for notes at all. And of course, I've got Android devices as well. So I have plain notes in Markdown format that are in Dropbox, and I access them with all kinds of different applications. I like OneWriter on iOS. I uh, like Jot or Jot, Jotter, I think it is on Android. So I like the fact that the the documents are completely independent from wherever I'm editing them. Yes, that, so that's always handy. It's much that way you you don't have to worry about am I going to get it? It's I have it. What am I yeah. going to do with it? That's one of the ways that I test any new application. You know, the killer new app comes out and it writes in Markdown, and I go to it. And the thing is, a lot of these apps they're fantastic. They're brilliant. They're wonderful. The the tools that they've got they've been really carefully thought through, and they're they're amazing. And when I go to them. The downfall is they only link to one Dropbox folder. And it's a Dropbox folder that's called the name of the app. So My Wonderful App creates a folder called My Wonderful App. And the files are in it. If I can't get to those from elsewhere, if I can't link to the Dropbox folder of my choice, you're dead to me. It's useless. Yeah. And I did find that with a couple of them. And that's how come I've ended up with one writer. That will let me have multiple folders rather than just the one. And it works well. Sounds like I'm using almost as much software as Dave, doesn't it? <laughs> it does in that way. Yeah, but it just works. Yeah, that's the point. It just works. And I've not tried quip.com. So there's my evening gone as well. Ah, very good. You've, what has Dave done to me? You've taken up my day and my evening, so it's only fair. <laughs> so Dave's done the same. I'll look at that and um, re report back. So you're happy with OneNote and you're happy with the Mac version? Yes, I am. Very much so. If, if they just add a couple more features, uh, maybe they can add uh, uh, something equivalent to printing. I don't know what it would be that would give us that security blanket, but... Other than that, yes, I am very happy with it. The syncing is is great. The interface is great. I'm stuck there, and I'm going to stay. Fantastic. I, too, would like them to add a few features. The backup is my number one, just yes. to make it easier for me. Uh, but other than that, feature-wise, you know, features that you actually use rather than safety blankets, it's got to be inserting and working with attachments. Yeah. And then I think everything else on top of that would be niceties. One of the things I've noticed is as I'm adding more and more content, I'm having to scroll on the right-hand side through my pages and, and my sub-pages. Yeah, that does tend to get a little messy at times. That's why I've been slowly, I've been, I'm sticking with that same structure of pages and sub-pages, but I've started to tweak that just a little bit more to make that scrolling a little less because I I had, for one set of things, I had sub-pages for every meeting and that was making that list extremely long so yeah I, I think the problem would be solved if they let you um fold up the pages yes that's exactly what i was thinking it would be you know if you could collapse them down yeah like if i could collapse down a week's worth mm -hmm. or and then collapse it to a month okay so now microsoft you're listening you're because we're using skype to record this so we know you're listening in <laughs> So here's what you need to do. You've just heard Elaine and I say this. You need to be able to allow us to collapse the pages down, and that'll make us even more more of a, de a devotees to uh, 
to your application. Absolutely. Well, we shall send them a copy of the show. I'll send it yes. to Nutella himself. I, I would do. <laughs> and we'll uh, give him a list of our requirements. <laughs> Sounds good. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for both today and your previous appearance. It has been amazing, amazingly fun for me to talk to somebody who actually uses it. Um, I could sit here chatting to Mike about it and he'd just be sitting there like a nodding dog, <laughs> nodding, if you say so, dear. But you're actually using it. So, so we've been able to pull together what we love and um, a list of what we'd like as well. Yes, and I, I must say it's always an honour to speak with you and I, I truly enjoy the privilege of being on the show. Thank you very much. So let us know where people can find you. Well, you can always find out a little bit about me. I'm, I'm on Twitter some, not as much as I was, but I'll be back there a little bit more. Uh, find me on twitter.com forward slash B-I-G underscore I-N underscore V-A. Or if you want to find out more about me, you can go over and listen to my other podcast. As I said at the beginning, though, not safe for work. So make sure that uh, you don't have small children or your boss standing around. But that's Geekiest Show over, Ever at geekiestshowever.com. That's fantastic. So thank you very much for being with us, and here's to next time. Thanks. So a huge thank you to Kevin for taking the time to talk about our shared passion for OneNote. You know what I'm going to do? What are you going to do? to do it again where there's a new version but i promise it'll be a long time yet honestly honestly i think everyone's going to be one noted out aren't they they are now last week i was talking about what i'd like to see in one note and this week i created a running order at work for a one hour training session that i'm doing on using OneDrive for business app and office apps on an ipad and i created the running order in one note now the way i've organized my one note i've got one notebook called mike's notebook the book has several sections, one of which is called Collaboration, which is the name of the project I'm working on. And the Collaboration section has lots of pages and subpages. And one of the pages is called iPad Training Running Order. Now, this page has a table in it. The first column of the table contains a topic name, for example, opening a file in Excel for iPad. The second column of the table contains the details of the demo, what I want to say as I'm uh, demoing. And all the running orders for all our other courses at work are in Word with a table layout. And so the layout in OneNote uh, resembles this. Now, my plan was to use OneNote mainly because it's portable. I can access and edit the running order from any device, wherever I am. Once the running order was complete, I would copy and paste the table into Word. However, I found I can actually save some time because the Windows version of OneNote has an export feature. Using the panel on the right-hand side, I selected the page, I selected File Export and chose Word as the format and then opens it up in Word. And I have to then do just minimal formatting and just making it look the same as our other documents. Now, I thought it had an export. Yeah, it does have an export. Works really well. You can export a single page, multiple pages, section, even a whole notebook, and you can export to common formats, Word, PDF, and HTML. And you can also create a OneNote package, which is a great way to create an archive of a whole notebook or a section. And it also includes any files that have been embedded into the notebook. I know you and Kevin were talking about ed um, embedding files. I also needed to back up somehow easily from yeah. the Mac, which isn't easy at all. It's not. No, Windows can do it. I'm sure, the, I'm sure they'll, they'll put that to the Mac 
for version. I'm sure they are going to work on yeah. that because they, they've even this week announced they're releasing OneNote for the Kindle Fire phone. Cool. If you want to open a OneNote package um, on Windows, all you need is OneNote installed. I've tried it on a Windows machine without OneNote and it wouldn't do it. But this won't work on a Mac at all. But all is not lost because you can open them with an app which is called Outline 2.0 for Mac and it's available from the App Store. So I'll stick um, a link in the show note. It normally costs $40. I think it's $39.99, but at the moment it's on half price sale. Now, I got that app and I'm sure it was about £3.99. It was a very good deal a good few months ago. Even better deal. And I haven't I haven't done too much with it. The reason I got it was I thought it utilises the same file format as OneNote and it accesses the same data as OneNote. And I, I worked on the principle that Outline 2 has been around longer, so it probably does more than even the Mac version does. So I need to investigate that more because I'm, you just made me think maybe Outline 2 could back up. It's worth a try, definitely. Or create a package or export yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I will report back. Good idea. But uh, back to OneNote itself. In my testing, all the text formatting, the bold, italic, font size, colour, etc. was exported. But the checkboxes in my course setup checklist weren't when I exp exported to Word, although they were when I exported to PDF. Also, OneNote pages don't translate into separate pages in Word and PDF. So if I exported three OneNote pages, you don't necessarily end up with a three-page Word document or PDF document. But you, you, know, you can sort that out afterwards. You can just add in page breaks. Another benefit of being able to export from OneNote is that I can easily share a single page from a notebook with someone else, which is something I mentioned last week about being able to share at that granular level. Now, it's not shared in the true sense of the word. You haven't got a single document that both people can collaborate on, work on at the same time. But, for example, a colleague asked me for a copy of the completed running order. So all I need to do is export the page and send in the Word file. What you could do for collaboration, bi-directional live collaboration on that, is share the Word file, though. Good idea. Rather than send him the Word file and give him a copy of it, if you had it on your OneDrive yeah. and you sent him a link to it, then you're collaborating on it. Excellent idea. So the burning question is, do you have more note-taking apps than Dave? <laughs> Dave, 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 you're probably a bit of a note-app geek. I mean... No, understatement. <laughs> there's a good selection of apps there, Dave, but... And this is coming from me because, you know, from past episodes, I have talked a lot about um notes apps sometimes you can have too much choice pot kettle <clears throat> yeah, yes and no yes and no that's like saying here's a red notebook a blue one and a green one because i'd spend too long deciding which app to use i spend too long trying to remember which app the note is in which happened to me last night when i went and searched evernote and you said to me well and i couldn't find the note and you said well there's there, there's where you should have tagged the notes and it turned out the note i actually wanted was in one note <laughs> That wouldn't have helped then, would it, really? No, it wouldn't. Now, I've got a load of note apps, as I say, but I do. I, I now tend to just use OneNote and Evernote. I've cut down primarily because they sync via the cloud, so I can use them on any device. I can use them for home and work. No extra software is required. 
Um, to be honest, most Markdown apps can finally use any Dropbox folder, which does help. So you're saying it like you, you need to remember which app. If you store the files centrally in your Dropbox folder and the app that you use can access that specific Dropbox folder, then you don't have that particular problem. Um, for me, though, storing them as individual notes, individual files, doesn't allow for any central management or metadata. And that's the reason I prefer an app. But I do write Markdown files on the go, usually to import into Scrivener. But Dave and I have discussed in DMs uh, various Markdown apps. And uh, it's like, which one are you using? Oh, have you got that one? I'll try that one then. <laughs> and uh, because we've both got an Android as well, and we both much prefer typing on an Android. I love the keyboard swipey thing. Um, I think it's called Swipe. I've got two, so I don't know which is which. But it's where you put your finger on and you just kind of move it across what you're trying to type. And it's so accurate. It's unbelievable. Coming to iOS in the autumn, I believe. So uh, so something to look forward to. But uh, great to hear all about your apps, Dave. Now I'm waiting to hear how you're getting on with OneNote. A challenge for you. And now it's time for... It's that time. Mac Love, love Bites. <laughs> Jim, we need a proper stinger for that. <clears throat> I prefer Mac Love Tell you what, listeners, tell us. Do you want a proper stinger or do you want us to keep saying Mac Love Bites? There are people swooning hearing you do that. <laughs> Get on okay. with it. Florence, we heard from Florence who wrote and said she loves something Elaine recommended. That doesn't narrow it down much. True, but I have to agree with this one. Not to mention the fact it was a bargain. To get back to Florence, it was the Anchor USB multi-charger you recommended back in show 84. Excellent choice. Florence says, when Elaine recommended the device, I really thought it sounds too good to be true. But since I was going on holiday, hope not an iOS holiday, and didn't fancy giving half the suitcase capacity over to all my chargers, I decided to buy one. It's completely awesome. It charges every device I have really quickly and all at once. Five devices charging whilst we were away. Even had cheeky friends plugging their iPhones in as charging them was faster than their official chargers. I love it so much I bought another when I got back, mainly to stop the other half nicking mine every time he goes to work. Well, that happened to me, didn't it? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Thanks for the recommendation. It's the best thing I've bought for years. You are very welcome. It really is as good as it claims. As half my Twitter followers can vouch for, as most of them have bought at least one, you know who you are. And if you're one of the ones who hasn't, why not? Links to both the black and white 40 watt versions and the 25 watt version in the show notes. It's not too late. Huge thanks to Florence for sharing her passion. It's your turn next to send in details of what tech you love and why. There's <laughs> people crying now. Oh, thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. So, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Send in your questions, your comments, your queries, your rants by email to mail... <laughs> to mattbitesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. Leave us a comment on the show notes at mattbites.co.uk. 
And don't forget to keep sending your Mac Love Bites in. Leave a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook and circle us on Google+. Sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thomasmike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash macbytesiri. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you Macbytes. Goodbye. Goodbye, and see you next time. Inspired by Timeline 3D, I'm liking the idea of a payment for each appearance. What? You mean they pay you? You need a better agent.